On this episode of Code Switch... Candlestick salad. Sauerkraut and pork. Bacalhau. Chitlins. <laughs> it's those holiday foods that divide us and polarize us. I'm Gene Demby. And I'm Shereen Marisol Meraji. Gene, this episode was your idea. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm all about the love, and I want to talk about holiday foods I love, mm-hmm. like Puerto Rican pasteles, okay. um, which are like tamales, but way better. <laughs> <laughs> you said to Adrian. <laughs> uh, yeah, Adrian, where are you at? Anyway, the masa is made with green plantains and jautia, which is a root. It's mm. like, oh, the masa is so just, I know people don't like this word, but it's so moist. <laughs> And then the the insides, yes. it's stewed pork with raisins, so it's got the sweet and savory. Um, it's wrapped in a banana leaf. It's just mm, it's complex and delicious. So good! Oh my, oh my god, gosh. my mouth is watering. But you, you, you got to be bah humbug about everything. I mean, so yes, we're we're not going to be talking about the holiday foods we love that we look forward to a la pasteles. We're going to be uh, talking about. Holiday foods we love to hate. Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> hate, love... <laughs> hate, 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 hate. <laughs> foods we love to hate and, you know, why we hate them. You know, so it was the day before Thanksgiving. It was, I, I, threw it out, mm-hmm. I threw this out on the Code Switch Twitter account. You know, I just want to know, like, you know, I'm about to sit down. I'm about to eat turkey. Turkey is trash. I don't understand why we eat turkey. But I was like, yo, we all come from these different. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's dry. You know what I mean? You have to do all this stuff to it to make it edible. And people mm-hmm. are like, not my mama turkey. Yes, your mama's turkey too. Turkey. If, if turkey was good, we would eat it. The rest of the year. We don't because it's trash. So I was curious, like, you know, turkey is like, you know, uh, mainstream American staple. But there's all the stuff that comes out of our own traditions, you know, that like ends up on our plate that we might not really bang with. And so I asked this question about what I will call the chitlin conundrum. Like, what is the thing uh, that ends up on your holiday table, Thanksgiving and Christmas, that you don't really bang with? And so we got a lot of responses. So oh, we got, did we? Okay. Um, a lot of people. So I'm going to read some of the tweets that we got. Uh, Tyra J, at Tyra J, she said, Souse, which is pickled pork trimmings. It's feet, snout, tail, whatever. She's like, nah, bro. Yeah. Um, Pop, who's from Brazil, he says, I hate panettone. It's a dry, horrid, tough cake made of dried fruit and raisins. It takes ages to swallow. Uh, <laughs> Pablo de Man, Tejas. Brazilian food is delicious. I know, right? Well, you know. So I'm confused, so but I've never had that. 99 so. out of 100, you know what I mean? Yeah. Pablo de Tejas uh, said menudo. We got a few menudos. It does not smell good when you're making it. Yeah. I'm sure it tastes delicious. I've never af- actually tried it because I don't like the smell. <laughs> we got a lot um, <laughs> of uh, tweets about um, varieties of casseroles from the Midwest. Shout out to white people. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. Green beans, casseroles, things like that. People didn't really bang with them. Actually, at the top, um, there was a tease to candlestick salad, which a woman called in, and and I just have to describe it very quickly. It's um, a salad, and I put that in quotes, and it starts with <laughs> iceberg lettuce, and then there's like rings of pineapple and a banana like a, a banana which is halved um in the middle of the pineapple so sticking up mm, you know what i mean yeah. and then it has like a cherry on top and then there's this like white pineapple sauce around it <laughs> so it's just like this i mean that literally can we even air that yeah thing. we can't even you might have to beep that whole description out the explanation on our voicemail of that one was really really long so we're not going to play it but we loved it i laughed i laughed i laughed i want to say it was great it brought me so much joy but here is another one that we got on our voicemail that we're going to listen to just so you know we're not going to say anybody's name you know to, to so they do not incriminate themselves to their family. <laughs> <laughs> sensitive. This is sensitive. Every year for Christmas, my dad takes the opportunity to make bacalhau, which is uh, not my favorite dish. <laughs> it's like codfish and olives 
and onions and tomatoes and hard-boiled eggs all baked together. I don't know. It's kind of weird. He loves it, though, and I love that he loves it. So it's always a good time. I feel like, you know, like when she was saying the things, and I'm like, okay, so I mean, I don't eat onions, but I feel like, you know, I, I could, all of that sounds... Yes. You know, Codfish, not bad. Love and, it. And Olives, she, delicious. Yeah, exactly. And then she ooh, said the eggs. It was just yeah. like, ooh, let's, eggs. let's just rein it in a little bit. Let's just pull it back. Just, just on the side of the line. Just a little yeah. bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that people, uh, you know, tweeted about and sent voicemails about was chitlins, which we've brought up a couple times already. Uh, chitlins. <sighs> let's listen to that voicemail. I hate them, and I'm not the only one in the family that hates them. Um, my dad also doesn't eat chitlins, and he once told my cousins, you know why I don't eat chitlins? It's because we're free, and that's why we have ham. <laughs> <laughs> it's because we're free, and that's why we have ham. How do you feel about that, Gene? I know you don't like chitlins. Uh, because, I mean, you know, if, if, if you've ever been in a house and someone was making chitlins, you're, you will know as soon as you walk in the door, like, oh, somebody's eating chitlins. Because it, I mean, and this is not, this is not hyperbole. It smells like fecal matter. It smells yeah, like it's not a good smell. It's not a good smell. Um, what about ham? Do you eat Christmas ham? Oh yeah, I'll, I'll go ham on some. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you know I'm all about the love. Chitlins is divisive. It is or divisive. Absolutely. Yes, mm-hmm. chitlins are polarizing. Um, I wanted to know about the love, the love for chitlins because it okay. is out there. So I reached out to Kevin Young. He's a poet and director of the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture um, up in Harlem. And chitlins play a starring role in a few of his poems. He's actually got one called, you know what, I'm just going to let him say it. Ode to Chitlins. Note it's spelled C-H-I-T-L-I-N-S. Not chitterlings, but chitlins. Uh, And the poem talks about that. Uh, And in case you don't know or haven't had them, they're hog guts. (laughs) <laughs> they are pig intestine. He said hog guts. They're pig intestine. We got to do a little explanatory comment here. Um, the, part of the, the, the reason the chitlins are so polarizing, though, is like the history of chitlins. They they are in, in the, the retelling, the mythology around chitlins is that they come from uh, slavery because black folks didn't couldn't have access to the other parts of the pig. And so they were making pig intestines. But I was reading this article today that actually said Africans and people in West Africa were eating, you know, chicken intestine even before they were put in bondage. That people in Europe and in Britain and France already ate intestine dishes and that mm-hmm. slave owners actually had chitlins on their table. So part of the like the reputational uh, dilemma that chitlins have is that it's connected to this history of oppression. And so yeah. besides the fact that they nasty, the other part of it is, you know, they come from this, like, you know, like we, we ain't got to have it no more. Yeah. End explanatory comma. <laughs> or a food comma hey, in that uh, case. <laughs> get it? Did, did yeah. everyone get that food go. comma? Have you had chitlins before? Trey? Yes, I have. D- did you like chitlins? I did not. <laughs> But people um, who like chitlins, like Kevin yeah. Young, um, who sounds like a lovely person, are contrarians. That's why. That's why we need them. Yeah, I mean, I've tried them once and I didn't like them. And I was an adult when I tried them, so I feel like when you're an adult, you're a little bit more open. Right, right, right. I don't know. That was it. Like and you I had never more tried. agency in the experience. It wasn't like a thing like eat these. I did. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you still didn't like them. And I still didn't like them. <laughs> <laughs> But on that note, let's have a little taste of Kevin Young's Ode to Chitlins. (laughs) I see what you did there. Right about now. It's from his book, Dear Darkness. How do you like them rankles? Asked my uncle. Parish constable, 400 pounds if he's an ounce. And my best answer may be a lot. Wrinkled wise man. 
You were the kind of kin I trust few hands to help with. Like his wife, my auntie Faze, whose name might as well be Faith, for that's what lets me let her bring you to me. Bleached, boiled, run through the washing machine till clean. So, Shireen, you talked to Kevin about poetry and chitlins. That is the weirdest <laughs> sentence I'm going to say this, this week. Me talking to Kevin about poetry and chitlins. And chitlins, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Stanzas and stank. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I love that. Please don't apologize. That was really good. Um, I did. I talked to him about his work and about pork products. And so <laughs> I just want you to listen to a little bit of that conversation, Gene. Kevin, why is food so central to your work, to your writing? It was really a way of connecting to a childhood, um, to a past, to history, and to my father, who was newly gone, but also to poetry. There was a way in which Pablo Neruda had these great odes to, you know, laziness or salt, you know, these primal things. And I, I like to joke that, you know, these were my Grecian urns, you know chitlins and and pork and you know so i was really drawn to that as a way of understanding culture and nothing i think quite speaks to us like food it's instantaneous it's creative there's nostalgia of course but also there's something always new about it something always fresh and it was a way of thinking about all these things love and death and life through poetry that, like food, sort of has been neglected till recently. You know, we kind of forgot about it. And if you don't nourish it and return to it and, and honor its traditions, you lose them. So for people who say, and there's some people who have written us and sent voicemails to us to say, chillin's not a thing that I look forward to, and it is on our holiday table, um, what would you say to them? I mean, for me, you know, chitlins and appreciating them have to do with that loving quality um, that I and sort of improvisation, the art of making something out of nothing, is very much an African American art. But also, I was really interested in that. What now gets thought of as whole food, and we used to joke from the rooter to the tutor, but um, I don't think that's the polite way to put it. I'd say <laughs> that uh, you know, from head to tail, they'll we you know use the whole animal long before that became hip. That was a way of survival and a way of recognition of the sacrifice of this animal, which often was uh, an animal you knew and raised, you know. There's a level of humbleness and humility of whole use and of completeness that I think they also mean. And there, there isn't a replacement for Christmas ham, but there isn't really a replacement for Christmas chitlins either. I, I mean, it's, it's telling what he was just saying is like, that dish in particular seems to have all this like cultural baggage onto it, right? I mean, he was saying like this is about history and his family. Like, yeah, that's that's how you got to think about chitlins. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And maybe that connection is strong enough to help people get over the smell of when it's cooking and the, that that and the that taste deepness. of when it's <laughs> when <you're> okay. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna talk with Genevieve Viamora. She's Filipina. She's the owner of the Filipino restaurant in D.C. called Bad Saint. Mm -hmm. And Jean, I'm sorry to tell you, she does agree with Kevin in a lot of ways. (sighs) (laughs) But I think, you know, she might have some things that she agrees with you about, maybe. Goody. (laughs) Stick around. 
Let's take a moment to thank and share a message from our sponsor, LearnVest. Did you know the average indebted American household has over $16,000 in credit card debt? And 31% of Americans have zero retirement savings? The good news is LearnVest is here to help. LearnVest is redefining financial planning by making it affordable and accessible to everyday Americans. When you work with LearnVest, you tell them what you want to accomplish with your money, and they'll create a customized financial plan to help you get there. To see a financial plan and get a $50 credit, go to LearnVest.com slash CodeSwitch. Finding new podcasts isn't hard. There's so many out there, but finding the right ones... That's hard. And that's why Pop Culture Happy Hour teamed up with Lauren Ober from The Big Listen, the broadcast about podcasts, to tell you some of the best episodes of 2016. We've got highlights from veteran shows, and we've got the scoop on some of this year's best newcomers. Like Code Switch. I hope they talked about us. Anyway, find this great, big 2016 crossover episode that's between Pop Culture Happy Hour and The Big Listen at npr.org slash podcast and on the NPR One app. And we're back with Genevieve Villamora. She's the owner of the Filipino restaurant Bad Saint, Bon Appetit, just named it one of the top restaurants in the country, number two in fact, um, they got glowing reviews in the New York Times and in the Washington Post. You're a big deal, Genevieve. Yes, you are a big deal. How does that feel? <laughs> I don't really think of each day in those terms, wow. actually. That's how, celebrity, that's how celebrity would answer a question. Um, of course, we are so thrilled in our first year to get recognition from such fabulous media outlets and, you know, sort of the big names that write about food. But... You know, in the restaurant business, every day is a new day. I like to tell folks at the restaurant, you know, we're as good as our last dinner service. If the last dinner service was awesome, well, we got to watch ourselves because the next one might be horrific. Or if Mm. we just had a really horrible one, well, then things are looking up because the next day probably will be better. That's very zen of you. (laughs) Well, it gives me anxiety. It's like you're only as good as your body. I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) Another thing that gives us anxiety, especially Gene, is chitlins, Genevieve. This is very true. And so our first question to you is, have you had chitlins? I have not. (gasps) Let's trade loves. (laughs) (laughs) So is there a food, is there like a chitlin equivalent in Filipino food um, that sort of has the same, it's just as divisive, just as polarizing, you know what I mean? Um, I mean, for me personally, for you, for if you're speaking was, broadly, broadly, I think that's a difficult question to answer because of how diverse food in the Philippines is, mm-hmm. and you know there might be some regional specialty that for people that live there, like maybe there's a dish for them that they would offer up in response to that question, but it might be a dish that I've never had, right? And then there are other dishes like dinuguan, which is for me is what I would say would be my dish, um, which is a pork stew that's made with pork blood. Pork blood. Pork blood in the sauce. And that was a dish that I never had growing up, but partially because it just, like, freaked me out so much. What does it look like? So it is, because of the blood, really sort of inky, dark and inky looking. Mm-hmm. And to a child... <laughs> Is not the most visually appealing dish that you could, mm. you know, is like black up. or brown or. Yeah, I would say like like a 
Almost black. Huh. Yeah, like it's dark, like dark, dark, dark brown, almost like, black color. Like blood sausage. Puerto Ricans eat blood sausage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even I darker. Never, Even oh, darker, darker than, than that. that. Yeah. Like the vacuum of space. Almost. Just maybe like <laughs> a shade or two lighter than that. And it just seemed like like a horror show dish to me. And there were always these weird things that adults would say to kids to try to get them to eat it, you know. Like, like what? It's often called chocolate meat. But I think oh, when you're saying that to a kid, no. they're like, oh, yum. And then they get the kid to try it, <laughs> and then they find out the horrible truth of what they've just eaten. And I never, I never liked that. I mean, I think that some people thought it was funny to call it chocolate meat to get a kid to eat it. But then there was something a little mean-spirited to me about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, especially since I was seeing it from a kid's perspective. Um, we did shout outs to our listeners, you know, what, which foods, like traditional foods from your culture that right. you do not eat. And right. Dinaguan came up a few times. Oh, did it really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That doesn't surprise me. Mm. My husband loves it. I now love it. So what happened? I love it. So I feel like there was almost this like creepy mystique around it when I was a kid mm. that just clung clung to the dish in my mind for so long. And then at the restaurant, well, actually, rewind a little bit. It was even before the restaurant opened. It was when we were doing our first tasting with the the guy who became our chef, who mm-hmm. was the only chef that we ever really auditioned. Um, and his name is... She's just saying that because she's on tape. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> it seems implausible, but it's actually true. His name is Tom Kunanan. And we'd had a few meetings with him, and then we realized, oh, my God, we haven't even tried this dude's food. So we thought, oh, let's have a tasting and, like, be very official about it. And so we we gave him some parameters. You know, we'd like two vegetarian dishes. We'd like a seafood. We'd like a meat. And those are your only, you know, criteria for this meal. And otherwise, you've got free reign. Mm-hmm. So he made Dino go on. As one of his dishes. Just on some, like... Uh, I think it was a gutsy move, yeah. you know? I, I really... It, it said a lot to us at the time that he would, you know, lead with that, mm-hmm. you know, in his tasting menu with us. And I was sort of embarrassed when I got there because it was my first time eating it. <gasps> what? That yes. was my next question. I wanted to know if you had already had no, it. No, I had never, ever had it my whole life. And I'm like, oh, wow. my God, what a first time to have it, like, in his apartment, like, doing this tasting <laughs> It just seemed so like I was embarrassed because it's such an iconic dish. I felt bad that I hadn't had it until then. But in a way, I was sort of like, well, got to do it. Got to take a big bite of this. Like, you know, this is his big audition. It was delicious. He makes a mean Dino Goan. (laughs) I think part of what can be kind of um, not a pleasant textural experience when it comes to Dino Goan is that it involves a lot of technique to make the sauce actually very mm-hmm. smooth and good because if you overcook the blood, it gets clumpy. Then you got this <laughs> coagulated, clumpy blood sauce. That is mm. a, a, you know? the yeah. weirdest sentence I think anyone's ever said on this podcast. I know, and I've just said it. But because chef is chef, he doesn't add the blood till the end. He kind of whisks it in very thoroughly and quickly. And the result is this really velvety, earthy, delicious sauce. He also adds pepper to it, some some long pepper that gives it a nice spicy kick. So I think it's, you know, you got the earthiness there, but then the spiciness of the pepper kind of like gives it more dimension. 
This sort of leads us into this theory, listening to you talk about this, that I know you have about, you know, these quote-unquote bad dishes that we hated from our childhood Mm -hmm. and, you know, the reasons why people want to distance themselves from these dishes. And I was wondering if you could go into that theory for us because I feel like this is the perfect transition. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, I feel like my own experience with Dino Goan helped me realize my own sort of misconceptions that I had had about the dish and that I had stayed away from it for so long for all these reasons. But then once I re-examined those reasons and I actually like tried it for myself, I was like, wow, this is really delicious. And just kind of that arc, that sort of conversion arc for me. Conversion. (laughs) Made me think about like, gosh, there must be so many other dishes like this, not only for me and Filipino food, but for other people and, like, maybe the foods that they grew up not liking or, like, the dishes that always would pop up at the holiday table that were their least favorite. Like, sometimes I think it really helps to taste those dishes in another context Mm. or maybe made even by another person so that you can see and taste and experience them from another perspective. So what happens to these foods? You know, your, your grandmother made it, your nana made it, your abuela made it, right? And then you don't bang with it at all, right? right. So they might not be passed on. Right. Um, is that good or bad? Or is it just... Oh, gosh. Are there food traditions that should die? That's, that's the real question. Right. You know, I don't like to think of food in a static way. Uh. I don't like to think of food as, like, being a canon of dishes for any cuisine, really. Because I just feel like food is a reflection of who we are. And who are we? We are always changing. You know, so many things are a part of why food culture changes. And having a restaurant now where we say that we are just trying to be true to the spirit of Filipino food, I really, really shy away from, of course, now I'm going to say it. I'm going (laughs) to say the word that I shy away from, which is authentic. Mm -hmm. We don't like to use that word at all because it gives the impression that there is like the one true way. So in terms of food traditions dying and whether it's good or bad, I think it's just change, you know. Um, Of course, traditions are important because we give them importance. So I think that what the actual dish is is not necessarily the important piece of it. It's the value that it brings to us. You know, and I think that that could be for any dish, really. Of course, it is nice to have something that is passed down. There's something about tradition and the ritual of knowing I am making a dish that, like, generations before me have made. Mm -hmm. We are using, you know, we're measuring out these ingredients in the same proportion, and we're, like, eating it at the same time. That is really powerful. I don't mean to diminish that at all, because that is, like, a really moving thing, I think. I do also think that at the end of the day, for me, with food, it has to taste good. And people like what they like, and they don't like what they don't like. Tradition itself, for me, is not enough of a reason to continue a food tradition if you don't really like it. (laughs) You You just got to pass, If it's a dish you don't like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. You don't have to pass the recipe down. You know, I yeah, I wouldn't even know how to. You so. know, let's think of another <laughs> recipe. Let's think of another recipe that we like, mm-hmm. you know. But probably a lot of people could say this, but for sure this is true for me. Like some of my most vivid family memories always involve food. Mm-hmm. Always involve food. Yes. It, it just totally. What else brings us together, you know, in the same way? 
Genevieve, thank you so much for coming here, even though I didn't bring no food. Uh, thank you so much <laughs> for coming through. We appreciate you. Oh, yes, it was a you. real pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Genevieve Viamora is the co-owner, Big Boss, at Bad Saint, one of the top new restaurants in America. Happy holidays, Genevieve. Happy holidays. Feliz Navidad. <laughs> so do you guys say Feliz Navidad in Tagalog? Actually, it's a big, long phrase. Maligayang Pasco. Wow. Oh, that's totally different. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maligayan Pasco. Yes, perfect. All right, y'all, that's our show. We want to hear from you as always. You can email us at codeswitch at npr.org. Follow us on Twitter at NPR Codeswitch. You should definitely, definitely subscribe to our podcast wherever yes. fine podcasts can be found or streamed. Walter Ray Watson and Rund Abdel Fattah produced this episode. Mm-hmm. Our editorial assistant is Leah Danella. And we had original music by Ramteen Arablui. A shout out to the rest of the Code Switch family, Adrian Florido, Karen Grigsby-Bates, Kat Chow. Our editors are Barry Hardiman and Keith Woods. And don't go away, because we're about to listen to an entire ode to chitlins. <laughs> and I'm telling you, you do not want to miss it. It's beautiful. Happy holidays, everybody. <laughs> With or without chitlins, I'm Gene Demby. I'm Shereen Marisol Meraji. Be easy. Peace. Ode to chitlins. Note it's spelled C-H-I-T-L-I-N-S, not chitterlings, but chitlins, uh, and the poem talks about that. Uh, And in case you don't know or haven't had them, they're hog guts. Ode to Chitlins, In Memoriam, Charlie Barfield, 1950 to 2007. He was my uncle. How do you like them rankles? Asked my uncle. Parish constable, four hundred pounds, if he's an ounce, and my best answer may be, a lot. Wrinkled, wise man, you were the kind of kin I trust few hands to help with. Like his wife, my auntie Faze, whose name might as well be Faith, for that's what lets me let her bring you to me. Bleached, boiled, run through the washing machine till clean. Sweetbread's sister, Tripe's long-lost cousin. You're the uncle I one day learnt wasn't really, but I have grown old enough and young to know blood and family ain't always the same. So you, I claim, you fed me when I would have withered without you. You weather me like little else. I place my hands upon you, old family friend, and pray you're well the way my blood uncle phoned to pray with me after my father died when all I wanted was his best brisket, smoked slow. Pork loins, poor brother, you visit once a year, come Christmas if we're lucky, lately even less. No use waiting or complaining. Your guts are glory. Though your birth certificate may read chitterlings, only Holy Ghost's baptism record gets your name right, like it did my daddy's. Despite what the newspapers say, your name is not short for anything. Needs no apostrophe. Those tight jeans you wear, the ones with creases ironed in, Your linen suit in winter are out of style and you don't care who knows it. The road may seem long at first, you whisper, but see how brief it's grown. The trail may be full of shit. 
but you can make music of even that. The last place you'd look. Your hog heaven, hard to get to, much less clean. You're where we all end up. You are the finale of most everything. Grow better with time and pace picante. Priest of the pig, monk of all meat, you warn me with your vows of poverty that cleanliness is next to impossible, that inside anything can sing. <laughs>